Thank you, Adam. All in. All in is our theme for the year. And uh, as Adam mentioned, starting a new series today. But uh, all in can mean different things for different people. It never quite looks the same. This cartoon on the uh, screen might uh, be an example of that. Hezekiah, there's no such character in the Bible. I'll check to make sure. Found this race with Moses and Peter to be grossly unfair. Peter, of course, walking on water and Moses parting the water. And this poor old guy is struggling through the middle of it. And uh, to me, that sort of symbolizes that the Christian life and being all in can be different. Can be different. There's no point looking at somebody else and thinking, well, that's what it means to them. I'm not doing that. I'm behind the, uh, the race or not quite um, meeting the mark. And uh, I wanted to start off by saying that what that means to you and how it looks in your life will be different from someone else. The key ingredients are a heart after God and seeking to live for God, having accepted um, the forgiveness that he has. So there's a commonality that we all have, but the expression of that may be different. It's a process ongoing, and uh, as we were reminded last week with uh, Luke and Jess and Joel, it's a daily process to uh, make that decision to be all in for God. So we're looking this morning at a passage from Ezekiel. Ezekiel's uh, an Old Testament book, and it was written... Um, around 600 years before Christ, during the time in history of the Israelites, is what's called the exile. They were taken into captivity from their own country um, into Babylon, and they spent uh, 70 years there. And during that time, their city was destroyed, their temple was destroyed, um, their temple being symbolic of God's presence amongst them, and so they felt very much removed and detached from God. Um, So a time of despondency and uh, very challenging for them. But in the midst of all of that, God raised up prophets such as Ezekiel and then Daniel as well um, to encourage the people of God to say, look, we've done the wrong thing. We've got to turn away from our sin. Uh, God can restore us again that uh, all is not lost. Ezekiel had a number of uh, really powerful visions from God where God revealed to him um, the message that he wanted to pass on to his people. And those visions coloured his life and his ministry. Ezekiel saw God's majesty, his all-knowing and all-powerful might. And he saw that compared to the sins of the people. There was this uh, amazing sense of God's presence compared to the blackness of the sin of the people who were turning away from God. His writings were characterised by detail, time, facts and figures, dates, distances, all kinds of things. And if you read through the book of Ezekiel, it will say on the, you know, the sixth day of the fourth month, you know, the tenth hour of that day or something. It's a very common kind of a thing in the book of Ezekiel. But his main message was, turn from sin and be made right with God once more. Know that God is God before you have to learn it the hard way. One of the famous passages in Ezekiel is the vision that he had of dry bones, a valley full of dry bones that represented the people of Israel. And in this vision, he saw the bones start to reform and to grow uh, ligaments and muscles again and be covered in skin and be brought back to life. And uh, God was saying to him, even though the people uh, are here in captivity and they've turned from me and they're dry like bones, they can be restored And so the message overall that Ezekiel has is that uh, it's not all about doom and gloom, but there's hope and comfort. And even when we've turned our backs on God, he doesn't give up on us. 
So that's a little bit of background into uh, the story of Ezekiel. So uh, in chapter 47 um, in Ezekiel, there's a passage called the River of Healing. And this is also a, a vision that God gave to Ezekiel and it's what we'll be focusing on this morning. In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. That's all the details that I mentioned that Ezekiel likes to do. The man brought me outside through the northern gateway and led me around the eastern entrance. There I could see water flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. If you're a visual learner, you might like to draw a map and try and figure out <laughs> all of that and how it means. But the main thing is that Ezekiel saw this stream flowing out of the temple. Measuring as he went, he, that's the man, took me along the stream for 1,750 feet. Now that would have been written initially as 1,000 cubits, which was a unit of measurement, which according to Google is... 533.4 metres, so about 500 metres. Then led me across. The water was up to my ankles. He measured off another 1750 feet and led me across again. This time the water was up to my knees. Then he measured another 1750 feet and the river was too deep to walk across. Oh, sorry, up to my waist. Then he measured another 1750 feet and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. He asked me, have you been watching, son of man? Then he led me back along the riverbank. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. And the passage continues. It talks about dead waters being made pure again. It talks about swarms of living things around the river, an abundance of fish, that life will flourish along the riverbank, that there are fruit trees along the banks, there's new crops all watered by uh, the river flowing from the temple. The temple, as I mentioned, was seen as God's dwelling place, that God would be with his people again. And it's significant that this life-giving water, this stream that will heal the land and give abundance is flowing from the temple. It's not flowing from anywhere else, but it's coming from God, bringing healing and life to everything that it touched. It's also significant that how in every 500 metre increment, as they're walking along, the river grew in its depth. And it wasn't being connected to tributaries or other streams that were flowing into the river to increase the flow or the depth of it. But it's just significant that it's the abundance of God that kept increasing the depth of the river as they were journeying along. So there's total provision by this river. There's healing. There's everything you would need for life. There's plenty of food. There's water. There's shelter from the trees. There is life where there was no life. Who would not want to be all in? But just like us, Ezekiel had to make a start. He had to make a start somewhere. And that was to step in and be in the river ankle depth and today we're focusing just on that aspect of the passage yes this is a sermon about ankles you probably weren't expecting that when you arrived at church this morning but in weeks to come we'll continue and look at the significance of the knees and the waist and being finally fully immersed 
So ankles may not get a lot of attention in day-to-day living. When you meet someone, the question usually isn't, hi, how are your ankles? Like any part of us, and part of life that's uh, just doing its function, it uh, gets overlooked. We just take it for granted. But if there's a problem with the ankles, then we know about it. If you've ever had a sprained ankle, a mild sprain, you know that it hurts just to take steps. And you're limping around and you're looking for the railing as you're going up and down the stairs and hoping you haven't got to go too far. And if it's a bad sprain, then you can't walk at all and you've got to keep off it. You can't stand, let alone walk or journey at all. So strong and healthy ankles are critical to walking, standing, getting about, going on a journey. In a sense, they're like the foundation for a lot of what we do, though we don't recognise that all the time. But in this river, Ezekiel describes, ankle deep is the starting point. You're in, you've taken the first step in a process of being all in. It means that you're no longer settling for life on the riverbank and watching what's happening, but missing out on the abundant life that's flowing from God. You're no longer playing it safe and staying on the shore. You're in, you've made a start in the journey. I guess it's like um, in summertime, if, uh, if you're going to go into someone's swimming pool and there's steps into the pool, and uh, you take that first step into the pool, and you're just standing ankle deep, just sort of feeling what the water's like and getting up uh, the nerve to go a little bit deeper. And someone on the shore, high and dry, is saying to you, well, jump in, go under, what are you waiting for? And you turn and say, hey, at least I'm in the water. At least I'm in the water. So it's, it's a really important starting point. But there's another aspect of ankles. Perhaps you've heard of uh, the Achilles tendon that connects the bones in the ankle to the calf muscles. And uh, that's a very important part of, uh, of your anatomy. Maybe you've also heard of uh, the Greek mythological character Achilles. As a baby, he was dipped in a magical river called the River Styx. And that river would make him invincible. I've actually had a brief moment of invincibility. Perhaps it's a bit of an oxymoron. (laughs) How can you have a brief moment of invincibility? But it was only brief. It happened in a game of laser tag. And if you've not played laser tag before, um, you, you go into a room that might be quite a big space and there's barricades to hide behind and doorways to go through. And you have a vest on, a battery charged vest, and it's got lights on your shoulders and perhaps little speakers there as well so you can hear all the sound effects and uh, there's a a unit on your tummy there with a light as well and you're given this laser gun that's connected to that and you're on either the red team or the green team and in the darkness if you're red you're trying to shoot the green people you aim for their lights on their shoulders or on their tummy and uh, and so on it goes so I was playing laser tag the green, green team versus the red team the biggest problem was one of the guys on our side was red green colour blind and he just shot anybody but they had this thing where if you got so many shots in a row, you got invincibility for 30 seconds. And I found this really great hiding spot. There was a low wall about this high, and I stepped over that wall, and then there was another high wall, and just by standing there, I could balance the gun on the wall so it was really still, but pick off people coming around a corner. And it was just set up. They'd come around and bang, bang, bang. It was a really, really good spot. And finally, the speakers on my, uh, on my uh, vest said, invincibility, invincibility, invincibility. 
And so I thought, beauty. So I raced out to shoot anybody I could, forgetting about the little low wall. And I yelled out, I'm invincible, and then tripped and fell on the floor. Pride comes before a floor, a fall. And so there I am lying on the floor with the opposite team, just bang, 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 bang. And I was just laughing. I thought, well, that was my brief moment of invincibility. So Achilles and I had this thing in common. We were both invincible, but we also shared the fact that both Achilles and I had a bit of a downfall. Mine was not watching where I was going. Achilles was that, according to the the myth, that when he was dipped in this river to get these magical invincible powers, his mother was holding him by the ankles. Now, I don't recommend dipping a baby in a river by the ankles head first, but that's how the story goes. And so his ankles didn't go in this water. So his ankles were the only part of him that uh, wasn't invincible. And he went on to fight many battles and defeat many people and was a bit of a hero until one day... He got shot in the ankle by an arrow. Perhaps it was poisoned, I don't know, but that's how he died, getting shot in that spot. And uh, in a physical sense, the Achilles tendon, when torn or damaged, it's impossible to walk until it heals. I had a friend who ruptured his Achilles tendon playing soccer, and it was misdiagnosed as a bad sprain. And he spent two months hobbling around waiting for this sprain to get better before it was correctly diagnosed. And he had surgery and could put away the crutches and so forth then. But there's also an expression about an Achilles heel, referring to a weakness in someone or something that otherwise is quite strong. So an example might be there's a tennis player who's um, a wonderful player. They're fast around the court. They've got a powerful serve. But their Achilles heel might be that they're not strong on their backhand. And so the opponents, if they know that, will always focus on the backhand. Or it could be that there's someone who is a student, a good student at school and does well in exams, but the Achilles heel is getting assignments in and handed in on time and complete. So as we're standing in this river, ankle deep, continuing our all-in journey, I think it's important too that we can also realise that we can also have an Achilles heel, a weak spot that can bring about a downfall. And if ankles are foundational to standing strong in God, being all in, in faith in God, I think it follows that our Achilles heel, our weakness, is misunderstanding about the truth of God. And if we don't fully understand who he is, then that can be our weakness and our downfall. Now the problematic aspect of truth is that you believe what you know is true until you're told otherwise. And you can know something and think you know that and act on that, believe on that, have actions and attitudes based on that, but it can all be wrong. I recently saw the movie The Greatest Showman. I didn't realise realize it was a musical till I sat down and they started singing the first song and I thought, Jane, <laughs> this is a musical. She didn't realise either, so she's forgiven. But I really enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. Good movie. But the main character in this movie is the sort of guy who works hard for the family. And he puts time into uh, to get a bit of life and to earn money and to be successful in what he's doing because he wants to provide his family with the nicest house and with the best clothes and the best opportunities and so forth. And uh, that causes stress in the family and time away from the family. 
And uh, the wife continually says throughout the movie, all I want is you. Time with you. I don't want all of these things. We were happy when we had nothing, but we just had each other and the children. And his truth was to be the provider and to do all these things. But the reality was, the real truth was, he just had to have time with his family. And he finally learnt that lesson. In John 8, verse 31, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If we're going to make sure we don't have Achilles' heels, we don't have weaknesses, then we have to know the truth about God, to know that truth. I just want to emphasize that point, that daily we need to spend time in the Word of God. We need to spend time talking with other Christian people, listening to podcasts, uh, reading through things and understanding more and more about who God is. Let him reveal things to us that we may not know. Let him correct beliefs that we have that are false until we firmly understand the truth about God and then we'll have strong ankles. But I think there's three areas where we can have that Achilles heels, where the truth is misunderstood and uh, we're believing something that's not real and the first is that God is a God for good people only that's a very common belief but it's false and it's an Achilles heel people who believe that think we should be good people with high standards high morals who do the right thing and are kind to one another it's not fair when bad things happen to good people because they're trying so hard to be good. The good people deserve more. The good get to go to heaven, the bad don't. God loves us when we're good, but not when we're bad. There's no need to accept Jesus and ask for his forgiveness. Just be good. Being a Christian means you are nice, and really that's all there is to it. Try hard to be good. There's a certain Santa Claus aspect to that, isn't there? You be good and you're rewarded. That there's a list and it's being checked twice to see who's naughty and nice. The problem with that thinking, that is false thinking, is that there's no sense of the fact that we need to be reconciled with God, that we need to accept His forgiveness that there's something more to be good, that there's a pressure to behave. I have to do the right thing all the time, and if I'm not good all the time, then I've failed, and I can never keep up with uh, that expectation. In the 1970s, it was trendy to have a bumper sticker on a car. I had several bumper stickers on my car, mostly because it helped hold the bumper onto the car. (laughs) But one of them said... Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. And that was not my excuse to drive erratically and cut people off. But I thought there's amazing truth in that. And I think there's a perception out there in the community that Christians have to be good. And if you're good, well, you're not a Christian. And uh, you've perhaps heard, and I have as well, someone say, and they're supposed to be a Christian? And that's their expectations. Christians are good. This is what the Bible says. All have sinned 
and fallen short of God's glory. All of us. There are none here who are good. None of us. The Bible teaches we can't make it to heaven under our own steam. Good actions will not open the door for us. And the Old Testament is a testimony to that. Time and time again, the Israelites tried to live up to what they thought were the expectations, but failed. Tried again and failed. And finally, God sent Jesus to be the sacrifice for all of the sin, to redeem us. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Christians don't have to be good. But that desire to be good, to be humble, to help others, to serve, to give, to do all the things associated with the word good, comes from an expression of our love and faith in God. It doesn't generate the relationship with God. We can't possibly do that. Jesus' sacrifice did that, but it's our expression of that. And people have that back to front. If I'm good, therefore I will win favour with God and make it to heaven. doesn't work. Because we can't do it, because of God's love, because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can be with him for eternity. And our response is to want to love and serve other people. And if we don't, that's an Achilles tendon. The second Achilles heel, the weakness we can have, is that we think of God as a genie. God should make everything okay. That's his job. When life gets tough, God makes it better again. There's no need for worship. There's no need for sacrifice. God's purpose in life is to make our life easy and help us to feel good about ourselves. We only go to him when life is a bit too hard and we need him to give us our comfort and to sort it out. The problem with that kind of thinking is that when life gets difficult, not if, but when, then it must mean that God has abandoned us. Because if God was here right now, why would life be so tough? Or even worse, well, maybe God's not real. My life is hard. As a Christian, shouldn't things be easy? Perhaps there is no God after all. Or it might be a thought of, well, what have I done to deserve this? I try to be good, but yet there's this challenging time. Where's God now? And perhaps we're down on ourselves. I'm a failure again. I've brought all of this on me. And sometimes our problems are our undoing. We make poor decisions. But we have to realize that God is not that genie God. He has a greater purpose than that. This is what the Bible teaches You will have trouble. You can read it in the Bible. There will be persecution. But God is always with us through the troubles and the hard times. And they can't separate us from him. That's a very clear passage in Romans. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. The Bible teaches God will walk through the fire with us. We are never alone. The hard times don't mean that we've been deserted. We can find victory in those hard times. We can become more than conquerors. That the hard times make us strong and build our faith. And that is the truth of the matter. 
To think that God's role is just to be a genie is an Achilles heel. It's a weakness to our faith. And the third point that uh, I want to uh, mention about uh, Achilles' heels and false beliefs is that God is like a clockmaker, clockmaker God. He created the world, and there's a belief that he did that. But then this false thinking is it's a set and forget. Just like a master craftsman might build this beautiful cuckoo clock, wind it up, put it on the wall and leave it to run, walk away and do something else. So there's this vague understanding. Yes, I think there is a God. I mean, how did creation happen otherwise? But he's not personally interested in me. He'll leave me to do my own thing. We don't need a close relationship with God. We can use our common sense or ability to solve things. There's no divine revelation. God's speaking directly to me. There's no miracles. There's no spirit-inspired moments in life. God doesn't interfere. He's just letting it run. Tick, tock, tick, tock. There's no need for accepting the sacrifice that Jesus made. God is distant and impersonal and has no direct impact on my, my daily life. That is false thinking. That is false truth. Yes, God created the world. But the Bible teaches us in Psalm 8 that the crowning glory of his creation, the most amazing thing he did was to create us. We are the most special part of his creation. The Bible tells us that God loves us and knows us personally. He's not a set and forget God. The Bible tells us that he desires we have a relationship with him. That his spirit is with us and is a guide to us and speaks to us daily. That God's power can be outworked through our life. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Is a verse in Proverbs that can guide us every day. To think that God doesn't care about you right here, right now what you're going through, what your struggles are, what your joys are, what your challenges will be, what you're doing with your family and friends and with your life. That is false thinking. God cares deeply about all of those things. Every one of us is incredibly important to God. You know, it may not be obvious, but I think there are times elements of all of those thinking can be in our lives. Have you ever looked at someone who is particularly good and kind and thought, what a wonderful example of a Christian they are. Wish I could be like that. And maybe they're a wonderful example of the outworking of the love that God has put in their heart, but it's not just what they do. Or if life is going for you fairly smoothly, do you tend to neglect time with God? When the lumps and bumps come, then you might call on him again. God wants us to be with him every day. Or have a think about your prayers. Are they focused purely on what you need? God, please, I need this, so-and-so needs that. Rub the lamp, here's the genie. Do you ever take time to simply thank God for who he is, for this gift of love and salvation, for the creation he's made for us? So I think our prayers can obviously 
can clearly sometimes tell us that we're thinking one of these things or not. There's a wonderful example in the Bible of someone who knew the truth about God and was standing on firm ankles. It's just one of these short, obscure stories that we don't come across very often, but I want to finish with this one. It's from 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 11. And it's a passage that talks about King David and his mighty warriors. And it talks about these particular heroes of the Bible. And uh, this verse says, Next to him, that's the previous person who was mentioned, was Shammah, son of Agi, the Hararite. When the Philistines, they were the, the ongoing enemies of, uh, of the Israelites, banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. So you've got the scene, you've got the Philistine army, and um, the Israelites have gathered in this field of lentils, and the Philistines are coming, and they think, well, this is all too hard, and so they fled. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down. And the Lord brought about a great victory. So just one of these little brief passages, but isn't that an example of someone who knows the truth about God, can stand firmly on his ankles, and he was all in. And if you're facing an oncoming army on your own, you're all in. (laughs) You're all in. The, The Israelites had run. They'd run. How do we know that he understood the truth about God? Because it says, the Lord brought about a great victory. He knew that if he was making his stand for God, that if his feet were firmly planted, that God would bring about that victory. It wasn't anything he could do. It was through God, and he understood who God was. As I finish, let's go back to the river. Ezekiel knew the truth about God. He was aware of God's mighty power and his desire to be with the people. He knew that God wanted to restore them. But he knew also that the river of life flowing from the temple wasn't something to look at, but something to step in. If he was going to experience and be all in and know the full abundance of God, he had to step in. And you might think, well, Ezekiel was only ankle deep, but he was in. And the thing about being ankle deep is it's easy to step out again. You're not too far in. You're not too far committed. The thing is, Ezekiel's eyes were on God. And turning around wasn't an option. It was about taking another step. And another step. And another step. And becoming more and more immersed in God. When Ezekiel was ankle deep, he was as deep in the water as he could possibly be at that point. And it could be that you're thinking of your Christian life. And God, I'm only just in. And it seems to be as deep as I can possibly go. The solution is simply another step. Continue the journey. And I wonder what your next step is. Whether you think you're ankle deep or knee deep or waist deep or you're only just getting a toe slightly wet, there's a step that all of us can take. All of us. We should never be content with just remaining where we are in our Christian life. 
God has something more. We can become more immersed and more all in as, uh, as the journey goes. I wonder if the next step is simply to understand more of the truth about God and make sure we don't have those vulnerable Achilles heels, that we understand who God is. Perhaps the next step is, is reading the word more, uh, understanding him. Perhaps the next step is simply checking that you're facing the right way so that you're not tempted to turn around and get back out of the river, that you've got your eyes on God, eyes on the prize. We're fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. But whoever we are, wherever we're up to in our relationship with God, there's one more step that we can take. I'd like the band to come forward, please, and uh, be ready to finish the service. And uh, I'd like to pray. But I'd, I wonder whether you might just in a moment of silence also think about what your next step is. Uh, are there some of those false truths that God is a God for the good only, or that he's uh, our genie like a therapist, or that he's out there and not really interested. I wonder, are they creeping in to your thinking about God? Or perhaps as I've been speaking, there's some other false truth that God's been challenging you and revealing to you. And uh, I think it's important that we deal with those so that we don't have that weakness as uh, we want to continue and stand strong in the faith. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God who loves us unconditionally and desires to have a relationship with each and every one of us. Father, I thank you that you walk beside us each step of the way as we step into that river of life. May we be strong and firm in our understanding and our foundation. God, I ask that you reveal in each of us if there's misunderstandings or truths that we're basing our life and our actions on but really they're not the reality in you Father mostly though I want to thank you that the abundant life that we can have comes from you that we can't find it anywhere else it won't be in our work it won't be in our relationships it won't be in what we can earn or purchase it won't be in things we do or holidays we take that our abundant life comes only from you. Father, I pray that our eyes might be fixed on you, that we may step deeper and deeper into your river. Amen.